Welcome all for coming. Thank you. Last week we changed the format a little bit based on popular request that the uh, shorter Debra Torah should come first or earlier in the share. So we tried doing that. I don't know how much shorter they were, if they're all shorter, whatever, but the shorter style Debra Torah to try to put them a little bit early in the share. So um, I'd like to start like this. There's the beginning of the parsha of Parsha's Devarim. Right, we're in Devarim, you said? Yeah, it's not this well, so Devarim. The, there's a, Moshe Ben first gives a little bit of listing of places, which is a Musa for Yisrael. And then he begins listing uh, a variety of events that happened over the years that they were in the Midbar. There, it's certainly not an exhaustive list. It does not include everything that happened in the Midbar. It's not a list of all the Averis that happened in the Midbar. It's not a list of the most significant events that happened in the Midbar. And obviously it, it cries out for explanation of what is being included in that list and what is not being included in that list. So I, uh, as a first part, um, there are two uh, incidents or two episodes that are put together which don't seem to have any direct connection to each other. They do not happen one after another, according to most opinions, and there doesn't seem to be any inner connection to them either. The first is that Moshe describes the plan to institute Dayanim for Kali Yisrael. Previously, Moshe Rabbeinu had been doing it himself. Uh, at what we know from earlier is that Yisrael's prompting, they were suggested that they should switch over to a Dayanim system, where many, there are many Dayanim here in the cases. In our parasha, that fact of the Yisrael being the initiator is not mentioned. And, and um, Moshe goes through how he chose these, um, uh, these Dayanim. And then he continues on to the Parsha of the Miraculum. So the question would be, what connection is there between Dayonim, the Parsha of Dayonim, and the Parsha of Miraculum? So there's a, a very interesting part that I heard from my brother-in-law, Mordecai Siegel. I saw a similar thing in Rabalski Sefer. To explain how the Miraglim fell into the Chet that they fell into. I don't think we said it then, the week of Parsha Shalach. If we did, it's worth repeating anyways. He said like this, they were all very great people. If you would have told them, look, uh, go into Yisrael, eyes closed. Hashem said it's going to be great. They would have all, they would have been the first ones leading Klai Yisrael in without a problem. Or with a problem, but doing it anyways. Um, the, what went wrong, the thing that, that opened the door to the problem was that Moshe told them to go in and have an opinion. He said, go in and look and, and down up the land and see what it is. Look for this, look for this, and look, look for this. So once a person already is looking and feeling that they're supposed to have an opinion, it's very easy to overstep the line of where is valid room for you to give your opinion, and where your opinion stops, and you have to now give that information over to the higher-ups, and let them make the decision based on it. What they were supposed to do is come, gather information, and then report that information to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu will decide what is significant within that report, what is not significant, and how it should be interpreted. You were not given license to interpret. You were given license to explore, to look, to form an opinion even maybe. 
but then to give over that opinion to Moshe for a final analysis. But that's very difficult to do. And once the Maraglim were about a boss, so, and they had an opinion, so it's natural that they start to try to defend their opinion, and try to bolster their opinion, and bring rise to their opinion. And that's where the Chet HaMaraglim started to go downhill. So Moshe Rabbeinu was bringing this story as a warning to the Dayanim. The Dayanim are being dan dinei Torah. That means they're going to clear about the Torah, and they're going to have to understand the Torah, they're going to have to form opinions, who was right and who was wrong. They were opening the door. It's not just, follow, here's the halakha and shulchan go do it. It's, there's your dayan, the dayan's das is involved. And once a person's das is involved, it's very easy to take the next step, and if the halakha is not the way you feel it should be, to start dining on the Torah itself. And to start saying that, well, I hold that that's not how it should have been. And I, I hold that I'm, I'm taka right. And maybe this halacha needs amending, or something along those lines. And therefore, after being mitzavah dayonim, Moshe tells them, he says, and I want to show you an incident, now that you're going to be a balabas, so to speak, of the Torah a little bit, I want to show you what happens when someone's a balabas and they take it too far. For us, we have to take this message to heart. We've spoken here, and the Hashem share, about people activating and becoming active members in the community and uh, whether it's being a Pirkei leader or being an initiator of Pirkei leaders, but when a person is coming up with ideas and doing things, so often, um, or certainly every once in a while, they get shot down by the people on top, by the Rabbonim in the neighborhood. And as long as the Rabbonim are all accepting what the person says, so it's very easy to be gung-ho about the Rabbonim. And to say, wow, what wonderful Rabban we have, we understand that everything I say is great. But when the Rav only, not only doesn't do what you say, but tells you that was a bad idea, and it should never have been thought of in the first place, probably, so it's very easy to then switch over and start damning the Rav. And a person has to realize that as active, and as good as it is to be active, it goes only to a certain point. And a person has to know thy place, and know we're who you're about plukta with, and who you're not about plukta with. Where is your sphere of opinion? Where is your sphere of activity? And where is it not? And in a person's area where they're not, that's not their expertise, that's not their pay grade, so they have to be still willing, while being active, while coming up with ideas, to be shut down sometimes, and be told that that idea is not acceptable. There's a beautiful example of this. A Talmuder of Dessler um, came up with a, 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 a plan that he felt was an extremely important plan that would save Kali Yisrael. Um, and he wrote to Rav Dessler uh, about it. And Rav Dessler didn't just tell him he doesn't think it's a good idea. He told him he thinks it's going to destroy Kali Yisrael. And the person wrote in his, in his personal diary, he says, it was very difficult for me to accept that this thing which I had already put in many hours into, and which to me was clear that's important, but das tire is das tire. He told me not, and now not only am I not going to do it, but I'm going to try to rewire my brain to understand that it's not a good thing. And, and it's, it's a gross as that to be able to be an initiator of ideas and yet still accept the limits when they apply. After the Maraglin, the next incident that Moshe very quickly puts in, almost making it sound like they're connected, 
is that he was also punished not to be allowed into Eretz Yisrael. The Mephoshim have to point out that, and, and if, in fact some even connected to the Meraglim in some way, but that Moshe is not punished for the same act of the Meraglim, he's being punished for May Moriva. So in the second verse, we want to try to connect these three things, Dayanim and Meraglim and May Moriva, connect them to each other, and then try to maybe explain why they're put here, at the beginning of Devar. So, the last, um, the last thing that Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Dayanim, the last din that he brings down for them, is he tells them that, that they're not allowed to be afraid of any person, and they have to pass in the halacha, according to some opinions, even if, uh, if there's a threat of death, they have to pass in the halacha correctly. And obviously we know there's only um, three things that are heard by Yavr. Why would a dying have to die in order to pass Kalach correctly? The answer is, is that to do otherwise is not just um, passing wrong. It's a distortion of the reality of Torah. When a dying passes, he's saying, this is what the Torah says. And if he says other than what the Torah says, he's distorting the Torah, he's creating a new religion that's in the category of Avaydazar. That's a form of Abikarsis, to say a different Torah than the one that Hashem has given. That's the Chet of, or that's the Halacha of the Dayan. Moshe goes straight from there into the Meraglim. That's the same Chet that the Meraglim did. The Meraglim, aside from the Chet of Lashon Hara, of a lack of Bitochan, the, the thing that made their Avera so severe is that Klayosor was relying on their report to form an opinion, not just about Ertesro, but as we see in the parasha, Moshe quotes it here, about what Hashem thinks about them. And they didn't, the impression they gave is not just that Hashem isn't giving them the greatest land, it's Hashem hates them. And a whole hoof is why he's sending them, took them out of the wonderful land of Mitzrayim, and has taken them to this terrible place, Ertesro, because Hashem hates them. So that again is a distortion, not just of the reality of Eretz Yisrael, but by distorting what Hashem's attitude is towards Kal Yisrael, that itself is Apikarsis. And if that sounds to you like Chiddush, I have a raya to it. Um, this is, if you want to keep the word short, you don't have to quote the raya, but it says that Kal Yisrael, when they went into the Midbar, so they were Oisik Ba'apikarsis, Betoich Ha'Midbar, as they're crossing, uh, as they're crossing the Yamsuf, sorry, not the Midbar. So the Gemara gives two opinions, and I would deserve about what the Apikarsis was. One opinion is that they had Pesel Micho already with them. Pesel Micho is a quasi Abba Dezorah. And okay, then you understand, that's Apikarsis, to have an Abba Dezorah with you. The other opinion is, is that they said, we're coming on this side, and, and the, Levi, oh, and, and, and the uh, Mitzrayim are going out on the other side. So in other words, uh, the Mitzrayim are not being killed, they're just being separated from the Jews. So, okay, it's a false statement, but why is that Apikarsis? Right, so I think the answer is, what explanation would there be for why Hashem would not drown the Mitzrayim? He would just send them out the other side. Terence says he just wants to keep them away from Klaesro. That means Hashem doesn't like slavery. He's a glorified Abraham Lincoln who doesn't like the fact that one nation is enslaving another nation. There's no special relationship between Hashem and the Yidim. When Hashem drowns the Mitzrayim, it is a culmination of the fact that and you mess with my kid, I'm going to do something to you. And I'm going to do the ultimate. And then you're not going to exist anymore. 
And understanding that that is the relationship that Hashem has with us, that's the HaKadosh Baruch that we talk about. A HaKadosh Baruch that hates Klai so that's not HaKadosh Baruch That's someone else. It's someone with a lot of the same features, but someone else. So, over here, by causing Klai Yisrael to feel that Hashem hated them, that distortion, distortion of the reality of HaKadosh Baruch is what made it so severe. Same Avera as what Moshe was warned Ayan about. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, and I was also punished for the same reason. The Rambam Shita of what the Avera of Neim Riva was is not anything having to do with the hitting, it's that Moshe got angry. And the Rambam says that Hashem, the Yisrael so closely associated Moshe Rabbeinu with Hashem that they felt that any response that Moshe has to them is because he understands or has heard from Hashem that that's the response that Hashem is having. And if Moshe is getting angry at them, it means Hashem is angry at them. But Rambam um, says we don't find any where Hashem got angry about this request for water. Water, other requests were moisturized, but water, that is a necessity that people need, and therefore the request for it, maybe they should have had more bitachon, but the request is not something Hashem got angry about. So Moshe says, I also created a distortion, and that's why I was punished. Taken together, what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying is, is the extreme care that needs to be taken not to distort the message of the Torah. And perhaps the reason why it's coming in over here is as Klai's song now goes into Eretz Yisrael. And sort of the first phase of Klai's soul's history is going to be in the history books. And it's going to be something that we're going to keep looking back on to try to learn from and take lessons from moving forward. So Moshe Rabbeinu says there's a tendency to first determine what you want the outcome to be and then go look for a precedent in history and decide that that matches up. And to twist history, to say, to twist the previous parts of the Torah, and say, this is what it's Taka saying. You see? It proves like me. I heard that, that David Feinstein said, when it comes to Hashkava questions, or any question, like, don't bring me proofs from the Torah. He said, any Pasuk you bring me, I'll bring you a Pasuk that says the other way. Because there's a vast Torah, and until one knows carefully how to learn it, I'll pee Divrei Chazal specifically, so then you can make it say whatever you need it to say. And, right, someone who wants to say that Kabbonis are not important, there's many psukim in, in Nevi'im that say that Kabbonis are not important. And Chazal tell us that no, Kabbonis are one of the three Amudim of the world, and as long as we don't have a Besamidish to bring Kabbonis in, our world is on shaky footing. Right? But a person who wants to distort it can distort it. You can find psukim and touch them the way you want to touch them. Moshe Rabbeinu is saying distortion of Torah is a cardinal sin. And he says, it's, been, it's something that I warned the Dayanim about, it's something I, that we have suffered from, and it's something that I personally have suffered from. And you have to make sure, going into Israel now, that you don't do it. Uh, a third word, this one may be a little bit more uplifting, hopefully. Rashi brings down, by the Chet of the Miraglin, so Moshe Rabbeinu says, uh, right at the beginning of Shlishi, but Tikrivun Elai Kolka. You all came rushing over to me by Tarmun Shalcha and Noshim Lufanenu. Let us send people in front of us. So Rashi brings down that here everyone came by Ervuvio, knocking each other over, the young knocking over the old people, and old people knocking over the, the, the leaders to try to give this advice that we should send Rabbi. He says, Rashi adds in, that's not how it was by Harsina. That by Harsinai, they came to Hoyvim, that 
first uh, the 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 came and or or the the youngsters asked the elders and the elders asked the, the Rosh, and they the ones who came and presented the idea to Moshe Rabbeinu that that he that Hashem should not talk to them directly. Instead, Moshe Rabbeinu should act as a go-between to hear the divine Hashem. So the Kliyokar over here says that Rashi means with this comment an additional criticism of Klai Yisrael. That not only did you do it wrong over here, but by doing it wrong over here, I now understand that the original coming, that apparently proper coming, that happened by Harsinai was not proper. And the real reason, because I see that your nature is that when you want something, you just knock people out of the way to try to get it. You're, you're, uh, there's a certain festkite in, in it, but it's wrong to just, you have to be the one to say it. So then what's shot that by Harsinai wasn't that way? What it must be really is that you thought the only people who Torah is really negative for are the elders, because they already don't have too many tithes, let them be busy with the Torah, the rest of us will get to it when we're older. And the Zakanim said, let it be just for the Russian and the heads of Klai Yisrael, and even for us it's not. And uh, so that was a, a criticism of Klai Yisrael, of the Kliyokan. Well, in my soul, the that asking is recorded in the Torah. And it's recorded in the Torah, and the way the Kliyokar seems to quote it is that he says, Moshe Avinu said, but the Pasuk says, Hashem said, that that they should be like this all the time. So if, if we're now seeing that it wasn't a good zach, so then why is it recorded in the Torah, really after this, but why is it being recorded in the Torah, if, if it, it, you know, it was just on the surface, it wasn't for real. It looked good at the time, but if you go toif toif, it wasn't. A, it, it turned out it wasn't a good zap. Right? Imagine you see, uh, you know, a, a bunch of uh, bachrim running to the shul, running to base marriage. You're like, ah, what a beautiful zach. Look at this neighborhood. I know, runs to base marriage. And you come to base marriage. You see someone put out free damages, and the other man is like biting each other's fingers off trying to get the free damages. So like, okay. Fine. Wasn't such a beautiful zach. So then in your diary for that day, you know, what a beautiful zach I saw that all the bachrim in the neighborhood were running to show. No, you would have maybe written it down, but in the end, that doesn't go in the article about the neighborhood because it turned out not to be all it was cracked up to be. So why here in the Torah is it recorded that way? So I think that there's a, perhaps a very important idea here. We know that Chitzonius is an important zakh. It makes a big impression on people. And we sometimes think that the only chitzonius that matters is other people's chitzonius. That means if I see someone or my, my chitzonius clapping me in a certain way, in other words, when I know I'm trying to get, I'm trying to, I'm trying to act a certain way to make a certain impression, etc., when someone else acts a certain way, so that makes a good impression on me. We have to realize that we can make a good impression on ourselves too. A lot of times, if you do a chosh of if you do a good thing, a good looking thing, even if you do it for the wrong reasons, over time, you forget why you did it, and what you remember is the picture in your head of the way it was done. 
Uh, in, uh, so they just had a Ma'atis meeting over, um, I think, when was it? Sunday. Sunday, a Ma'atis meeting. So all the Bachrim put on their white shirts and they came to the gate and they danced and they stood around and they stood up and when they were supposed to stand up and they shook hands. I'm sure there were many Bachrim muttering to themselves how hot it was and why this guy had to leave before well, I got to him and what's the point of this anyways and we should be playing games now blah, 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 and all the different tainas that people have. In two months from now, they're not going to remember how hot it was in the room, probably. They're not going to remember that they would have better been playing a basketball game. What they're going to remember is that they stood in a room full of people who stood up for the Gedoyim. And they said, what a cover that, you know, that was not, that's a, and in their head, when they picture what COVID is supposed to look like, they're going to have this event to refer back to. I, at the time, it was carved to being a hilo COVID, all the thought, if you go into the head and see what they were thinking, it's mamish to fakir of anything related to COVID at But, halavai, maybe that we'd be so in touch with our emotions, but we're not, and we forget them. And when a person does the right action, and certainly when they do it repeatedly, over and over, consistently, those actions eventually become how the person views that thing. And they often will forget the emotions involved with it, and they'll remember the good action. And therefore the Torah records, you came in a beautiful way when it was time to speak to the Torah. True, we later saw that the intentions behind that coming weren't what they should have been. But you know what? This, gener- this generation, as much as they were in sync with, the, with what had happened in the previous generation, Moshe just had to mention the places where Averis were done, most of which are not the, done by this generation. And they already took the Musr and they thought what he was referring to. They were in touch. But when their Tati told them the story of Ma'an Torah, and he said, and then we got so scared, and, and I went over and I told Zaydi, you know, that maybe, uh, maybe it's too much for us. And Zaydi went and told, you know, the, the, the Rosh Hashiva that he should go tell Moshe that maybe we shouldn't hear it. So, so his son got the message. He got the message that that's how you, when you, have it, when you have something, you send it up the line. You don't go running yourself. You don't make it as if the thing has never happened before and there's no one who can possibly deal with the situation except you. And, and although, again, the, the intentions may not have been right, but actions that are right have value even when the intentions are not great, if, if nothing else, they have a good psychological value. On that note, I would like to now segue into the final segment of tonight's share, the, the Hashkafic section. There is as follows. Rashi brings uh, the Gemara, the Apostle quotes here that Klai Yisrael, when they came to Moyov, so Hashem says they're not allowed to make war against Moyov, and therefore they had to go around their... Their, uh, their lands. When it speaks about Amarim, so Hashem uses a different law, and he says, you're not allowed to bother them at all. So Rashi notes the distinction, and he says that by Moyov, there's Taka Isra of making war against them, but there's no Isra to bother them. Other Abba was allowed to make raids against them, and, and uh, skirmishes against them. They just can't have all out war against Moyov. Amarim, they're not allowed to bother at all. What explains the difference between these two? So Rashi says that Moyav, the, the Benois, of the Benois life, when, when they had children with their father, so 
um, Mayav, uh, the, the older daughter, named the child Mayav, which means Mayav, from my father. And the second daughter used a more snistic expression that what didn't make it so obvious what had happened. She says, Ben Ami, which was later changed to Amoin. And therefore, because of her Tznius, so she got an added level of protection from Klaisol, that they were not allowed to be started. Oh, Mashenkin, the older daughter, Klaisol is allowed to be Mitzair, her children. The Mashmoy says that there's something wrong with the action that was done, it should be hidden. Um, the Gemara in Hyria says that we learn out that a person should always be Zrizim Akdim Mitzvah, should try to do this as best as possible, because the Bechira went first, so she was Zoycha that from her descendants came into Klaiso four generations before the Tzira's descendants did. So from there we see that the Maisa seems to have been a good Maisa, something to be proud of, a mitzvah. The question that I want to explore tonight is, does Hashem take a Maisa that has a good element and a bad element to it? There's something right about it, something wrong about it. Will he split the Maisa in half and reward the good part while punishing the bad part? That's the question for tonight. Now, I don't, I don't feel that I'm ready to give an 100% answer on the question. I want to lay some groundwork for it, which in the future, may we all to come to a more conclusive answer. There's a rule on this topic called Mitzvah HaBal That means, if, uh, let's say an example, someone steals a lulav and then uses that lulav on the first day of Sukkot, and maybe on the other days of Sukkot as well, to, to, so they're not Yerzu, because um, since it was stolen, it's a mitzvah ha-babi That mitzvah came about through an Avera, and therefore the mitzvah is knocked out. And the, what that means is that there's no schar for the mitzvah. There's no, it's not considered to be a kiyam ha-mitzvah at all. The person has to take another lulav and shake it. It's not even a kiyam without a schar. It's just no kiyam at all. So, um, the... Okay, that's a mitzvah enough, but... That's the way the Roy Vamafarshim seemed to take it, is that there's no Kim HaMitzvah at all in the case of Mitzvah Babadeh. That would seem to say that Hashem does not divide Maisa. That if, if there's an Avera attached to this Mitzvah, it knocks out the Mitzvah. But the reality is that the rule of Mitzvah Babadeh shows the opposite. It shows that Hashem does divide Maisa. Because there's very specific rules to when we apply Mitzvah Babadeh and when we do not. If the mitzvah, if the Avera was done previous to the mitzvah, and the mitzvah could have been done without the Avera, but one just happens to use the Avera item to do the mitzvah, then the mitzvah counts. The Gemara says that if someone has um, wheat, if they steal wheat, or if they steal bread, and they want to eat it, they should not make a bracha on it. Ein zemavorech eliminayitz. Um, that says, that's Mitzvah Babavira, or possibly, it's the same din, it seems to be the same din, according to most opinions. And that says that, again, that it knocks it out. The halacha is, if you, stole, if you stole wheat, and you made it into a bread, they made a shinoi, and you find a shinoi, so then already you do make a bracha. Again, I, there's an element of this act of bracha, that it contains with it something wrong, that you're, lamaisa, you should be returning this item, but it's not technically the Avera right now, so it seems that Hashem will split such an action in half. He'll deal with the Avera 
in the way he deals with the Avera, but over there with the Mitzvah, in the way he deals with the Mitzvah. So are there any rules that we can try to put down for how this division happens, when it will happen? So again, the, obviously the first rule is, if it's, a, if it's Taka Mitzvah of Avera, if one directly does a Mitzvah by doing an Avera, so then their Mitzvah is knocked out. Um, the Bali Musa were very... Uh, uh, made a, a big dogish on this point. Uh, they would say someone who, uh, the Miller would try about it, if someone's coming back from sleepless, or going to sleepless late at night, and they, you know, they, they want to, so they talk and learning with their son, and they get into a heated argument, and they're shouting in the streets, waking people up in their homes at one o'clock in the morning, so, that's, the act of learning in the way you're doing it, the risk of the Raisa, can only be accomplished by waking people up. And the Mamish knocks out the Mitzvah of Torah. And what the act is defined as an act of waking people up in the middle of the night. And that's a not acceptable act. Um, that's, so that's, the, that's rule number one. Rule number two is that sometimes a person will distort the act of the Mitzvah so much by, with their wrong act that it loses the status of a mitzvah. So for example, if a person um, decides, uh, they come with a, some, some grace chat that having five parshas in that zone would be an amazing thing, or they find another parsha that's a different parsha that speaks to them very strongly. So they insert that parsha into that zone, so that's baltoisif, and they're being over an insert, and it becomes a mitzvah ha uh, additionally, you actually lose the, you lose the mitzvah. It's, you don't have the tzuras ha-mitzvah anymore. Um, if a person does that through a lack of knowledge, and as they don't realize that that's something that's usher, so it is possible that the good intention is, a sep- is considered to be a separate act from the, the wearing of the tone. The wearing of the tone is out. That's an Avera. It's an Avera B'Shoigi, but it's still an Avera, and a Kiyama Mitzvah, it's not. However, the good intention may be a separate thing. The general rule, again, seems to be that if it's two, par- if it's two parts of one action, or two separate things, then Hashem will divide them in half. However, there seem to be, or using that very rule, it sometimes cuts the other way. By Tzadikim, we find that Hashem takes all the Hidurim in a mitzvah and considers them to be separate, separate mitzvahs. So for example, if someone, um, if someone uh, shakes the wood, so that's a mitzvah. There's a separate mitzvah in the Torah called the Haftas Hashem Lekacha. What if someone does the mitzvah of Lulav with a Havas Hashem? What is that? So is it a Kiyam of a Haftas Hashem Lekacha? Or is it a kiyam of, a better kiyam of shaking lulav? So it's a vada a kiyam of a hafta shalakacha. It also is a better kiyam of, in the mitzvah of lulav itself, it upgrades the mitzvah of lulav. By a normal person, if you lack that element, so you just lack that element. By tzaddikim, Hashem mons them for lacking that element. He treats it as if they are two separate things. As if there's a mitzvah called shaking a lulav, 
And then there's a separate mitzvah to do it with Hislavos, and a separate mitzvah to do it with Yerz Hashem, and there's a separate mitzvah to do it with a Gishmak and exceptional. And each one of those things Hashem wants separately, and at times Hashem will punish a tzaddik for not including a certain level that they should have included in the mitzvah, even while rewarding them for the etzah ma'isa mitzvah. That's not to be confused. It's not a mitzvah above there, even though they have it at the same time. It's not an avera that he lost out, that he didn't include that better, that hither in the mitzvah. However, because he's a tzaddik, Hashem does him a favor and punishes him, ki'ilu was an avera, to clean off any or to upgrade him and give him a full alam It also seems that there are certain mitzvahs or certain aspects of a mitzvah that everyone is nitzvah, that everyone is expected to achieve. And specifically, that is the simcha of the privilege of doing mitzvahs. The toichicha happens, tach, it doesn't only happen to tzaddikim, it happens to everyone. Tachas Since you didn't serve Hashem with a gishmak of being an Eved Hashem, that is something that everyone is supposed to be able to achieve. And if that's true, that was true even in the most difficult times. When it was, so to speak, Shvet Zayin Ayid, Yid still had to realize, even if it's Shvet Zayin Ayid, it's Gor Shvet Zayin Ayid. It's a lot harder to be a Gor than to be a Yid. And that's a tremendous privilege to be able to be a Yid. In this dark, when we mamish have it on a silver platter, and there cannot, cannot, no difficulties in doing Yiddishkeit on the Shtagst Eifer, a person... There's no, there's no difficulties, not from the Goyen, and not from the Yiddin. When I was growing up, I remember from a young age, from 12 years old, arguing with, probably less than that, arguing with people about Koyo. Neighbors, right, who thought it was a, mish, a mishagas, crazy people, leeches, bench crashes, all the wonderful names they have for people who would go to Koyo, and all the terrible things that we were supposedly doing. And a person who wanted to be of that type, you had to fight against something. Hind is nothing. It's the whole, the whole, everything in the world is to be a from Erlucha Ben Tyrant. And, and you, you're going to have a, a people looking that you should marry their daughter. It's mamish. You, you're the spitz of, of Yiddishkeit and Yiddish society. And Afal Pekin, we struggle to understand how fortunate we are. And something that, that is expected of us. And Hashem so to speak, is willing to split. And he says, very nicely doing all the mitzvahs. And of course, a person, for every mitzvah done, will receive a reward. But Hashem says, at the same time, I'm going to look at the other fact that you're not expressing simcha and tu levav when you do it. There's a... We're approaching, getting close to El already. There's a... The, the Rambam says that during a service you make tshuva, so a person... Uh, you could either be a tzaddik, so Rosh Hashanah was already nigzar, they're going to live. Or Chas Hashanah and Rosh so for Rosh Hashanah was already nigzar, they should die. And then there's Benin. So Zakhtar Rambam, therefore, everyone should, maybe Benin, they should do tshuva. So everyone, there's a lot of people who ask, why tshuva? If you're a Benin, that's maximum mitzvahs, 50% mitzvahs, 50% averas. So do any mitzvah. Obviously you have to do enough you know, that they should outweigh any averis that you might do during a Zezim but why specifically Shuvah? 
Sorry. Lisa Blazer, he said, because the Aveira of not doing tshuva in, during a Sesame Shuvah will outweigh any mitzvahs you do. So it's a, for technical reasons, it has to be tshuva. Just because it will be too big an Aveira otherwise. But, but Rav Hutner said a different thing. Rav Hutner said that what makes someone be a Bainini person, he's a guy, he's like this and he's like this, right? Sometimes he's good, sometimes he's not good. He's Bainini. So he says, if he's going to do other mitzvahs, so every mitzvah is going to put something onto that very side of the schedule, and something on the scale, and something onto the mitzvah side. Because every mitzvah he does, he does like a Bainini. A Bainini is not just how many mitzvahs in a very side. It's a stat, it's, it's a way that a person lives his life. And if a person is a Benini, so like what we're saying, although they're doing mitzvahs, but if you don't do a mitzvah, if you come in and you're another shachter, it's mitzvah, come on, hello, at least put it together with mincha. And then I come and there's no minion, I have to go somewhere else, forget it. Okay, I'll go. Right? So if you do that, so avada, there's the schar of the mitzvah. But all the humphring and mitzvah goes onto the other side of the scale. Right? Now maybe, again, that you're not doing it with the Kavanah Sarizal does not go on the scale. That's for people who are capable of doing it with Kavanah Sarizal. For us, that doesn't go anywhere. It would, if we would do it, if one day we can do it, so, Matoy, a person who struggles mildly with Kavanah, so other Hashem looks at the struggle, that's a beautiful thing, he says, wow, look how you struggle. The days that you manage to achieve Kavanah, how beautiful that is, and that actually goes on the scale. And the days you don't achieve Kavanah, Hashem doesn't say, well, look at this, no Kavanah. Although it's true, there's an element you can say, you're talking to me, talking to Hashem, and you're spacing out. That's the way people are. But to harumph about having to go and speak to the creator of the entire universe and say, if only we didn't have to do this, that is a time on everyone. And that's something that we have to push ourselves to do. Okay, just quickly in the time remaining, I want to just go through a few um, examples and see if we could try to put it into the categories and maybe create some new categories. The first um, case that just I clarify is this nice light situation here. Number one is, if this falls into the thing of being two separate parts of the action. The act itself may have been a mitzvah. And for that, there's a reward. And then came deciding what to name the kids. And for that, that's a separate thing. And if, if, if it's considered more tznistic not to mention the act directly, and to say Alma instead of Maya, and you don't, so then that's something for which one can be punished. I'm not going to go to it now. If, if you can, I, there's a Maisa in, in the Hakdama to Gismaisha about, about specifically about Maya and someone who criticized the Bas Light for naming a child that Ayn Sham. The person was punished. Which will, requires a little bit more discussion here. Another option to answer that question of the Benoist Light is, is that it's not a punishment at all. The default setting is that Klaus should be allowed to fight wars against them and certainly to bother them. It's, it, it's a Milo of the Tzira that she had added Tzniyas and that gives her added protection. But there's no punishment being given to the Vechira. It's not a punishment that they're allowed to. That's just the default setting. No, no special schools. So that would obviate the whole question. The second case is by Avram Avinu. We find Avram said when, when he was told that Klai so inherit her children who had not yet been born, 
When Herod had to stroll, he said, How do I know that this will be so? So the Gemara in Tainus says um, that uh, Hashem accepted that question. And he, Adrabi, he informed Abram that there will always be the Kabonois. And when the Kabonois are not available, so there will be the saying of the Psukim, which will count as the Kabonois. Seems to be a perfectly fine thing. Some seem to learn that Adrab, in the schus of being concerned about this problem, that Klaiso may one day not be Zoyche, that's why Abraham was Zoyche to this special promise that Hashem said, I will make sure they always have Karbanas. Yet, we know that Abraham was punished for Gunwa very seriously, that for expressing himself incorrectly, and, and that was by having Klaiso go into Mitzrayim. So again, the, the one way of dealing with it is to say that the thing with the Kabbalah is not a reward, just uh, information. Hashem, it wasn't such a bad problem that Hashem said, I'm not continuing the conversation, but Abraham was being punished for it. Um, a second point is, is that they, that's the type of thing, again, that falls into that Sadiq category. It's not, it's not, Banmo'eda uh, is not a Avera, to say Banmo'eda. It was not, in fact, there's a Medrash that seems very clear to say it was not even a lack of a moon on Abraham's part. It was a, a lack of clarity in speech, which caused a Amuna problem, but not the other way around. That says, the Medrash says, Oy lomi He speaks and he doesn't know how to speak. Because by expressing himself wrongly, Abram created a Amuna problem that had not been there before. So in that case, uh, again, if it's, if it's such, so then it's not a punishment for doing an Avera, which would maybe knock out any schus of the question, because they happen at the same time. But rather, the schus of the question is the schus, because it's a good thing to be concerned about, and Asher Elim Mufakhe Tamid. However, because it was a tzaddik, not doing with the ultimate in bitachin or clarity of speech, so that is treated like an avera, so to speak, but it's considered a separate thing, and Hashem punishes for it. We have the Maisa with Oig. Oig, Moshe Rabbein was concerned about Oig's schus, his gebalb the schus that he tried to get Avram killed by telling him that Lloyd had been captured so that he can marry Sarah. That seems to be in Gansan and Avera. And, uh, and yet, um, certainly, certainly for that Kavana that he had, Oig was going to be punished, and is probably being punished in Gansan still. But, but um, he, uh, Moshe was worried about the schus. So to that, I think, is an important category. Uh, is, is something called Avera, or uh, Avera Lashma, or a Mitzvah Shalor Lashma, let's say. With the nice of the act that he was doing, was a good act. He was informing Abraham that um, he had a, that there was a problem that Abraham needed to take care of. But it was done very shaloy lishma for very bad reasons. The way Hashem deals with such things is that he rewards them, but he rewards them in this world. Because it's a this-worldly act, all the kavana for it is to attach yourself to something in this world, in that case, Sarah. So then it's reward in this world. So Hagufa is what Moshe was worried about. It was because the entirety of the reward was going to come in this world, Moshe was aware that even many, many years later, 400 years later, um, it was still something he might have to worry about because the exchange rate between al and this world is so great, uh, so al being so much greater, that it might be something they have to worry about. I should have to tell him, no, it's done already. But, but that's how that would work. A final, a final uh, case is in Sisera. On Rosh Hashanah, so we blow 100... The key is one of the reasons brought down is to counteract the crying of Sisra's mother. Now, Sisra's mother was standing by the window waiting for her son to come home from killing Jews. 
um, hopefully slaughtering out most of Klal Yisrael. And when he didn't come home on time, so she started to cry. That would not seem to be something that we would need to counteract. So I, I think there, the, the word is Pashat, that just because the person doing it is a Russia does not mean that everything that's being done is, a, is an Avera. The original hoping that he was killing Jews, that's Hakabat. But when she started to cry, she wasn't crying because he wasn't killing Jews. She was crying just as a regular mother because her son, it seems, was, uh, was not coming home from this war, that he wasn't going to survive it. And although she was trying to comfort herself, maybe with thoughts that, no, he's just taking very long to do all the booty, but the crying was, a, was an emissary crying. And why specifically this is mother's crying we have to deal with, that's for a different time, but it's not an Aveira, and the Mela would not enter this discussion. Okay. Done, it stopped. The shear is over, you can stop now.